Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon, where the starters might be sitting, but we never do. I'm Dave Hellman, here to get y'all locked and loaded for the upcoming season finale, week 18 on deck. Loaded weekend heading your way. Well, for some teams, you got your playoff locks gearing up for the playoffs. A lot of starters already getting announced as sitting out for the final weekend of the season, but so much on the line on top of that. We'll get into everything regarding the playoff matchups, the possible wild card weekend seating, all of that good stuff. The Pro Bowl rosters were announced on Wednesday night. We'll get into that as well. So much to get to, but where else would we start then, as we usually do on Thursdays, our guy, NFL insider Peter Schrager, drops by the show as he always does. It's the cheat sheet presented by Honda, where we're going to get into a crazy final weekend of the season, as well as all of the other news and notes going around the NFL right now, heading into week 18. All right, Peter, this is the stat that's going around right now. And I'm glad it backs up the way I was feeling because I just thought maybe I had a bad memory. Uh, but 20 teams are still at least mathematically alive for the postseason heading into week 18 which i read ties 2006 as the most ever is that i feel validated because you've been doing this longer than i have but i mean this it this it backs up my idea that this is really one of the wilder seasons i can ever remember oh totally and teams that you wouldn't think have anything to fight for or play for are still have a have a chance to play but what's interesting to me is how far teams can fall and how th- the buffalo situation's nuts Dave. have you looked at what the bills have going on this weekend i've looked at it but if you want to run me through it just for clarity's sake that would be great yeah it's it's as simple as this if if the pittsburgh steelers beat the ravens who are likely resting their starters okay and the Dolphins, who are playing for their first AFC East title at home since 2008, beat the Bills. Pretty sure it goes from the Bills potentially being the two seed if they beat the Dolphins to out of the playoffs. It's crazy. I mean, that's how there there is there is this wide disparity of how things can go. But it, it is that that crazy. And what would happen would be. I think the five seed uh, would be, of course, the Browns, and then the Steelers find a way themselves in, and then the Colts-Texans team gets in, and if the Jaguars also win, they are the four seed, and the Bills are on the outside looking in, and the Steelers are in, and then you got an AFC South team that wins Saturday night, and then the Jaguars, and I don't think I ever remember that, and this is when they expanded the playoffs a couple years ago to seven teams. I think this is kind of what they were looking for where week 18 not only matters to win a title, but in this case, to go from the two seed and potentially hosting two home games if you're Buffalo, if you beat, if you beat Miami, you're, you're, you know the, the Chiefs could potentially come to you divisional round after you take care of your wild card round uh, and then to then be out of the playoffs if you don't win. That's wild, wild circumstance for the Buffalo Bills, and that's the kind of stuff I love. Um, NFC South is interesting. The AFC South is interesting. Two games, like, look like walkovers like if the jaguars are playing the titans you think all right titans are done the texans beat them like if the titans somehow beat the jaguars things get crazy and the afc south obviously opens up for the other two teams titans colts or colts texans but in the nfc south if somehow the buccaneers don't beat the panthers and i know i say somehow after losing 26 to nothing and the owner spilling a drink 
on on the opposing <laughs> fans. Like I get it. The Panthers look like they're they're done. Um, but crazier things have happened. If they beat the Buccaneers, I believe the winner of Falcon Saints goes to the playoffs and hosts a playoff game. Absolutely. It's I mean, like to go back to your thing about Buffalo, it's it's not quite as drastic in the NFC, but even, you know, just the whole the whole flip-flop that could happen with Dallas and Philadelphia, like <laughs> that, I mean, and what's funny to me is having followed the Cowboys as closely as I have, like everybody is writing off this commander's game like it's a fate accompli. Meanwhile, Sam Howell beat the Cowboys in a similar situation last year. So I like I'm not writing off the idea that even after the Cardinals Eagles game, like this whole thing could get thrown into upheaval. And maybe now the, you know, the Cowboys are on the road playing like Atlanta of all teams, because that's exactly the type of thing that would happen in the NFL. And and for, for Dallas, like what a difference a couple weeks make. Cause we're talking, all right, if they don't win against Detroit and they don't necessarily get the benefit of how that play went down and it, it doesn't go their way. Now we're talking they're fighting for the two seat. They have to go on the road for three games before even getting the Super Bowl. Now they're home. Take care of a commander's team, which although they'll probably play hard because they're players and because Ron Rivera might be coaching his last game in Washington, I assume they'll play hard. But there is this thing with Washington where, like, Washington has no incentive to win this game. They get the number two quarterback if if they if they lose this game. So um, it, Dallas to be home for two playoff games and for Detroit to have to go back there or for the Rams to have to come to them or, in this case, I guess if the Rams are the, the sixth seed – the 5-4 matchup is likely going to be the Eagles versus the Buccaneers, likely. And the mm-hmm. Eagles would then have to go to San Francisco, the one seed, and that would mean the winner of the 3-6, the, the Lions versus the Rams, would likely have to go to, to, to Dallas. So you're talking Dallas hosting a wild card round game against seven seed Seahawks, Packers, who is it, and then Rams or Lions and I feel like Dallas can beat those teams at home, right? I I'm I I'm the the degree to which I have confidence in the Cowboys if the game is at AT&T Stadium versus without like and I'm sorry if that feels like a cliche, but how do you argue with eight yeah, wins this year, 16 in a row, and then you look at I mean even their wins on the road have not been anywhere near as convincing. So yeah, I mean Maybe, you know, I've been joking for a while now. Jimmy Johnson goes into the ring of honor. We'll find out if there really was a curse for Jerry Jones. I mean, can you imagine if they back, if they backdoor their way into a two seed and potentially two home playoff games, like a week after putting Jimmy in the ring of honor, finally, it's just, it's too good of a storyline to make up. Because who's the four or five matchup? It would be Eagles versus Bucks. What if just say Eagles beat the Bucks. They find their groove. And the Eagles go and they beat the 49ers out in Santa Clara. And it's like, well, we beat them last year. We 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 still have this, you know, tush push. We still got these things going. We we find then you're talking about the Eagles coming to Dallas for an NFC championship game. Like the permutations are wild. The possibilities are wild. That's why I like this week 18. It could still all be shaken up. Like Seahawks, I think, had one of the worst losses you'll find for a regular season team in the last couple of years. They were locked, they were mm-hmm. set if they had just taken care of beating the the Pittsburgh Steelers at home, a Steelers team that has had no offense all season long, and they gave up 202 rushing yards, and now they have to rely on the the uh, uh, win and the Chicago Bears to knock out the Packers. Like I love this stuff. How all these other teams affect other teams, and 
Seahawks have no one to blame but themselves, but they gave the Cowboys a battle, you know, on a sure Thursday did. night. They beat the Eagles, and it's like, I don't want to see Pete Carroll's team in there. I don't care what they did last week against Pittsburgh. I'm a I'm a cynical person. I love the point you just made. I'm very cynical, so I just assumed, you know, they expand the playoffs. I'm like, well, yeah, they want more games to televise. They're going to make more money, but it is a really great wrinkle how up in the air everything still feels because just like anecdotally over the course of my time following the league like weeks you know the final week comes around and sure there's there's stuff left available but it's maybe one or two divisions maybe one or two playoff spots and i mean the whole thing with the exception of the one seeds is in flux right now yeah it's incredible it changed things up because used to be four teams wouldn't be playing starters now it's like Two teams aren't playing starters, but even those two teams, like, it might be, let me not be starting the starters, but like, I don't think the Ravens want to see the Steelers get into the playoffs. Like, so let's see what they do. And then with the Niners, like, you know, they, they're not going to put all their starters out. I mean, you're probably going to see, I'm not breaking news here, you're probably going to see Sam Darnold versus Carson Wentz on mm-hmm. uh, Sunday. Rams, Niners, <laughs> not, not exactly how the, the Fox bosses, whoever's airing it, build it uh, going into this week, but. That said, it's still Niners Rams, and there's still a chance those two teams face off in the playoffs. Okay, there's a see if you follow my segue here because there's another element of this, and obviously the focus is like winning games and getting into the playoffs. But as close as everything is, it also has the potential to just wreak havoc on the draft order too. And in a year that is as quarterback heavy as this one looks with, you know, Michael Penix Jr. just played the game of his life in the semifinals. We know all about Drake May, Caleb Williams, but throw Jaden Daniels in there. I'm I'm fascinated by, you know, who who is up around like the teens right now who could make a drastic move sure. in that direction. So the reason I bring that up and you already mentioned the Steelers. But word comes down this week that Mike Tomlin's going to ride the hot hand with Mason Rudolph, which I don't blame him at all. Makes perfect sense. Back-to-back 30-point games. It's the best their offense has looked. But at the same time, I mean, you, you can't help but wonder what that means when when the season is over, right? If If Kenny Pickett is healthy and the Steelers know that the, the journeyman backup gives them the best chance right now, this is just, it's a very un-Steelers storyline, you know, like they love to just, they, they follow their playbook to a T. I'm fascinated by, by what this could mean for the Steelers in the long run, no matter whether they make the playoffs or not. Well, look, he's a first round quarterback picket going into his third year next year. So he still has another two years on that contract. He's going to be on the team. I don't see them drafting a first-round quarterback. That said, they got such better production from Rudolph the last two years. Hey, Rudolph's only 28. I was... It's amazing. The last time he had started a game before he went in was like 800 days ago, and and he was benched for Doc Hodges in that game. And like the Rudolph, we spent all December talking about what a comeback story this Joe Flacco thing is. How about the Mason Rudolph story over the last three weeks? Something in that division, right? Right, it is something, and it's crazy. Uh, With the draft order, though, I actually think up top is interesting. So for those who might not be aware, and I don't think we do this too often, we always talk about who gets into the playoffs – the tiebreakers are way different for who gets the draft pick than it is for who gets into the playoffs. So we're in the playoffs head to head is the first thing that matters in the draft. That's not a thing. Like it's like the last tiebreaker in the draft. It's your strength of schedule. Okay. And it's, I believe the stronger your strength of schedule is, 
or maybe it's the let whatever it is. Washington has it right now over mm. Cardinals and the Patriots. But I had Steve Kornacki, who's like the NBC odds guy on my podcast, and he was saying there is a way. Now it's not definite. A lot of things have to happen because these teams are so grouped together as far as their opposing teams and their and their schedules and the strength of schedules. But there is a way that Washington gets blown out by Dallas, as everyone expects, and the Jets beat the Patriots. And if the Falcons beat the Saints, the way the strength of schedules go, because the Falcons would go like this, because the Falcons played the Commanders this year, and the Saints played the Patriots this year, and the Falcons would have a stronger record than the Saints, things would tip, and they're like out of 32 possibilities, and you put in like, well, if the Colts beat this team, and then there is less than half, but a chance that the Patriots jump the commanders and then suddenly it goes Bears one with the Panthers pick and Patriots two, commanders three, Cardinals four, Giants five. There's also a way, a small, like less than 1% chance that if five different outcomes happen and different things are like everyone gets upset, the Giants go from the five pick to the two pick. So you never root for like draft order. It's too hard, especially when these teams fight. But like, I think when it's all said and done on Sunday, we're going to wake up with all these playoff teams, but we're also going to look up with a much different draft order than it is right now. Cause all of these yeah. teams going into this with four and 12 records. And it's, I, I mean, and th like I said, throughout the, the, the way this falls, I mean, yeah, the big, big quarterbacks will go at the very top, but you think about, some of these other quarterbacks. I mean, Atlanta's a perfect example. Like they're sitting nine right now. Depending on what they do, they could play themselves out of a range to draft the quarterback. They could play themselves into the range. Same thing goes for Las Vegas, Minnesota. You don't know New what's going to happen with their quarterback, New Orleans. I and I just I think that's fascinating. That Tampa? yes, if Tampa the, misses the I'm, playoffs and they end up. Under 500 or whatever their record is. And are they definitely giving Baker a five-year, $100 million deal? Or are they taking a quarterback? Like, I mean, well, this I'm, is interesting. It was, it was just last week. Like, And I get it. The goal is to win. I don't begrudge anybody for trying. But like, it was the Jets beating the Browns a few short years ago that played them out of Trevor Lawrence. And then years later, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, there, there are repercussions for these late-season yeah. results, you know? Yeah, I think it was the Rams actually. They they they, or they beat they the Browns somehow, and the Rams back to back. Yeah, that's what it was. The, they somehow lost to the Raiders on like a crazy Hail Mary that like kept them with the one pick. And a lot of Jets fans were like, that you can't write that any better. That were and then they go out and they went into LA and they beat the snot out of the Rams, and it was like the mm. most head scratching game from both sides. And it cost them Trevor Lawrence and the Jets end up with Zach Wilson, and now they're looking for another quarterback. Which not that yeah, I can hear people saying right now, maybe Trevor Lawrence hasn't completely lived up to the hype. But has more than delivered compared to Zach Wilson and Trey. I was, exactly. Play. I was gonna say you're you're more than taking that every single time. Uh which all right, I want to get your thoughts on one thing. Yeah. Speaking speaking of the New York Jets, you're the Jets guy. <laughs> Dalvin Cook being released, like I know yeah, he's a name. Move doesn't even move yeah. my needle, bro. It's it I, I'm with the radar, you. I'm with you. Like, he is nothing this season, and I don't think he would say uh, he had a season worth talking about. Like, does the team pick him up now? Well, I saw like Leonard Fournette's returning kicks for the Bills right now. Like, there are guys around the league who have been picked up quietly that like you're like, oh, that guy's on that team. Like, if he is, I don't see him being like the focus of an offense suddenly in the playoffs. 
it's it's like a tradition recently that like a Pro Bowl running back is on somebody's roster for the Super Bowl, but they don't do a whole it. Melvin lot, Gordon won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Melvin Gordon, my good friend Shady McCoy was on a couple yep. of Super Bowl teams on the back end of the depth chart. So I mean, I guess it's it's possible, but yeah, I think that was one of those situations where uh, where the name outweighs the reality of what's going on a little bit. Do you, do you? I know we're we're kind of free will in here. I, the Detroit situation. What do you think? How do you think they respond? Do you think that shatters their season and they become a shell of themselves, or do you think? I'm asking you. Do you think? No, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm so. First of all, I mean, it's it's borderline. Look, I'm as a. I love aggressive football. I love it. I'm never gonna dogpile on somebody for trying to win the game. Three in a row is a little much for me, especially when one of them is from the seven yard line. So like at some point when, when, when all the dust had settled, maybe Dan Campbell tries to kick the extra point there, but I'm not going to hate on him. And I, I love, I love the way he's responded to it. Like, did you see the story? He was like on the radio in Detroit and he was like, talk to me like you talk to somebody else on the radio. I, I love it. And I think his team responds to it. I think at the end of the day, if you're on that team, you love that your coach has absolute faith in you to go win a ball game. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying the Lions are going to make a run to a Super Bowl, but I I don't think that's going to linger with them at all. He woke up and he did a press conference on Monday or Tuesday. And he's like, I'm pure octane, baby. Like he was ready to go. And he's like, I'm not going to make an excuse for it. It's interesting. The league. You know, we had Dean Blandino on Fox NFL kickoff on Sunday, and I stood up there with him, and it was fresh off it. And I'm like, Dean, explain it. And he, he, Dean was right. Like, what he said in the moment was that if Brad Allen says 70 is who declared, and he said it on the loudspeaker, well, then, of course, it's a penalty on Decker. Now, it's a miscommunication. Either you want to blame the player, you want to blame the ref. It's mis- 70 was announced as the eligible guy. And, you know, Jerry comes out yesterday and calls it fuzzy. Like, if you want to get mm-hmm. fuzzy, like, fuzzy things can happen. And that means, you know, bringing three offensive linemen towards Brad Allen. But the league, and the league is stuck, stuck by Brad Allen. They said, uh, 70 is what he said. They sent out a teaching video to all the teams yesterday to say, here's how it's done. And the responsibility or onus is on the player, which in more or less words is it's on the teams. You have to make it clear who it is. And now does that mean grabbing Brad Allen by the collar and saying, no, no, it's me. It's me. Like who knows? But then they assigned Brad Allen and his crew to a standalone game Saturday afternoon, whole nation watching big stakes, Steelers, Ravens, huge for Pittsburgh. So like they're, you know, they're, they're standing by their man and they're standing by their refs. And it's like, all right, Detroit, you can cry all you want. You're not getting this thing reversed. And the season still has a lot left to go. I think your only choice is to, you know, cry about it for a little bit. And I think the old Marv Levy uh, quote was like, you can cry about it, but then you got to go, you got to fight again. I I would go as far as to call it um, defiant, a de- like defiant behavior by the NFL to be like, look, hey, there's a process to this whole thing. We don't think our guy got it wrong, which I mean, you could get, you could go deep into the weeds if you want to. I, I watched the video. I can't help but notice that. I mean, Ta- Taylor Decker's standing right in front of the guy. If if Taylor Decker says he was telling Brad Allen that he reported, I believe him. But to your point, yeah, there, there's like a 48-hour window where I'm willing to hear it. And then after that, I'm just like, all right, man. It, yeah, I get it. It sucks. At the same time, I feel contractually obligated on behalf of all Cowboy fans to mention the tripping call that the tripping also didn't get called. 
I get no. it. So you know, I mean, look, Rogers was on. Rogers was on with McAfee, and I know he made other headlines yesterday. But that was one thing he also <laughs> brought up. I don't think we're going down that road. Not on this. Uh, let's let's not. It's not. Uh, I take a plane every single week to L.A. Um, anyway, so uh, it, he said it yesterday, and he's like, you know, did you watch that play? And McAfee even's like, yeah, I, you know, I think so. I didn't see. And he's like, go watch that play. He's like, that's the error. Like, and like, that's just what you got to deal with. And I think he's right. Like, you, this was a big play, and this might dictate the two seed, and this might dictate whether this is a dream lion season or if it ends in the wild card round or it ends uh, in the divisional round because they got to go to Dallas. I get it. It's a huge play. But the NFL is not going to change the outcome. So it's up to you. Do you want to wallow in it or do you want to get up off the mat? And I think that's what Campbell's telling his players. I think it also it matters a lot for the Lions that they had already clinched the division. Like you don't have to you and don't I have to deal with why, that. I think that's maybe why he kept going for two. If I'm being honest, I haven't spoken to Dan and we are friendly. Um, big, big uh, self-promotional guy. I'm, I'm friendly with Dan Campbell. But uh, I've I wonder if he's like, if we go to overtime, who knows? God forbid Jameer Gibbs can sprain an ankle. You know, who knows? Maybe I'm on Ross St. Brown gets hurt. Maybe the more minutes we play, we've already clinched. We've kind of got this game like we're, we're feeling our momentum. So he went for it. I don't know if that's his reasoning, but I can almost justify it saying, hey, we're going to win it or lose it on this play right here. And I'd rather not play another 10 minutes of football. There's something bad that could happen. I I think Dan Campbell has a fantastic grasp of of like the vibe of a game the vibe of his team what it takes to win in the nfl like i said i'm i'm never gonna hate on somebody and doesn't it set up a nice little rematch in the divisional round oh on well i mean if we're just going by seating you have a you have a potential rematch but to get through it you might have to play Matthew Stafford. So i mean what what else what else could they're likely they were likely playing Stafford like how it was working out. But then when the Cardinals beat the Eagles the next day, you're like, oh my God, they could have been home for that game. Like, you know, who knows? You know. One last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on. You touched on it at the top, but uh, you know, it does make waves when uh when an NFL owner gets fined three hundred thousand dollars, which I do I do know how much that is relative to David Tepper's net worth, which is not a whole lot, but it is just it's still something that doesn't a lot to me. Hap- yeah, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't happen very often in the NFL, but am I am I right in assuming that this is this is I mean, for the most part, the end of the road for this story, or do you think yeah. anything more comes of it? It's done. It's done. And like I, I I respect like the corn Kornheiser was like saying like, you know, it's an embarrassment for the league and guys who I really respect are out there and they're outraged by it. Uh Tepper's not gonna give the team away. Tepper's not selling the team. I don't think the league is gonna, you know publicly do anything beyond this statement that they made he made a statement and like moving right along um yeah that was that was some video and yet this guy here here's is there a positive take on it no is there a justification for it no he lost his cool but that's a passionate dude man <laughs> that's a passionate dude and it's like it, they, they've been down on that is a dark low point i think as this season has gone as bad as it possibly could have for the carolina panthers yeah i, th- I mean it's hard not to think about what was it six coaches in three years or whatever the number is and you're like okay yeah they, yeah. Traded, they traded mccaffrey they traded dj moore those guys are having yeah. amazing seasons. those guys might be first team all pros yeah i it, it makes you yeah it makes you think about uh the, the maybe the, the the accusations of a short fuse and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I also wonder if like 
that detracts or if that, all right, we know it's not going to be the most ideal coaching job. We get that. There's going to be five, six, seven, eight open coaching jobs. Some of these guys are going to be, do coaches openly say, forget, I, I'm choosing this team over this team, but do like they do like Ben Johnson say, like, I will not coach for that man. Like, I'm right. Done. I don't want, I saw that. That's ugly. That's, that's behavior that's not becoming to me. And like, I will wait as opposed to doing it. And then do they have to settle on a head coach? Like, it's very interesting to see how it plays out. On the other end, head coaching jobs don't come around too long. You know, you think about Kellen Moore, just to give an example, Kellen, as you know very well, interviewed for the job in Miami, interviewed for the job in Carolina. Well, he's now on a Giff Smith staff of an awful Chargers team. And it's like, does Kellen have the same buzz that he had? When your window's there, it, it might be time to take the job if you're offered it. And we'll see if one of those coaches who is a candidate decides not to based on the spilling of a drink. That's that's a really that's an excellent point, especially for any coaches that have already waited a year. You know, yeah, I yeah. mean, you you definitely you can't afford to wait too long. Although I think that's going to give a lot of guys reason to pause. All right, one last thing, I want just really quickly. I mean, you can take it anywhere you want, but in a slate with this much going for it, is there a winning in playoff game, whatever that just really gets your yes. gets your juices going? I'm fascinated by Green Bay, Chicago. Yes. It's not necessarily because of the Packers. It's what do you do with Justin Fields? He was amazing last week. I think Eberflus went from being on the hot seat to now being on like the warm seat. And if they win this game and do what the Lions did last year in Lambeau and and Fields plays great, like it's not as easy and cut and dry. I I still think there's going to be discussion on the coach. I think there's going to be discussion on the quarterback, but like, Justin Fields has an opportunity to really put his put his stake in the ground and say, hey, before you just make a rash decision, you got to consider what you got in-house. It's the oldest rivalry in the NFL, two of the best brands. If the Packers win, they're so far ahead of schedule in this post-Aaron Rodgers era. Meanwhile, if the Bears win, they're the hottest non-playoff team in football with i mean the the discourse about what you do with fields versus the number one overall pick like it could generate enough energy to like light a city you know I it's gonna it be carry us all off season it's great it, i mean you could yeah you could do your show about it every day for the entire spring trust me yeah. we will. And, and the truth is it's like it's not just fields or caleb williams it's fields plus the extension that's looming so you're like not only are we keeping fields we're giving them 40 million dollars here a year which is what it will be to extend the quarterback and then on the other end, it's like if Caleb Williams or Drake May is that good and they're just better than Fields, like you get him on a rookie contract, you get four years of that plus the the, the extra year as a first round pick. So that's the the economics and the debate of it. And then who's coaching the GM? Who's making the decisions? Like very interesting. I I know what I would do, but I'm really glad I don't have to make that decision yeah. for real. Yeah. You know, yeah. The fans want Fields. They're chanting his name. So that's interesting. Oh, I all due respect to Dolphins Bills. That's going to be good too. But man, I cannot wait for that Bears Packers game. All right, Peter, I've kept you long enough, man. Uh, happy New Year! I I can't wait to see what we get in the playoffs. But as always, I appreciate the time, man. We'll have a whole new set of storylines, my man. Thank you. Happy New Year. You know, we talked about this with Peter, and lo and behold, it all came to fruition on Wednesday afternoon. I would call it a shocking amount of teams just coming right out and admitting that they're going to sit their starters or at the very least sit their quarterbacks. You know, in my experience in the in the world of the NFL where winning is everything, you play to win the game, it's it's 
not normal to see teams come right out and admit that that's not going to be the case, even if things are taken care of. For the record, I deeply appreciate it. Let's just call it what it is. Let's be honest with each other. If you've got your playoff spot locked up, if it doesn't feel like it's worth the risk, it makes all the sense in the world. So I'll start out with the biggest news of the day. The reigning MVP and the reigning champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, just coming right out and announcing that Patrick Mahomes is done for the regular season. He will sit in week 18 against the L.A. Chargers. Blaine Gabbert will get the start. I was surprised to read this. this is Blaine Gabbert's first NFL start since the 2018 season. He moved over from Tampa last year. He was Tom Brady's backup for the last few years. It's Patrick Mahomes' backup this time around, and he'll get a chance to finish out the season. Head coach Andy Reid, he was, he was cool enough to tell us about Patrick, but he was a little more coy about who else might not be available Sunday, though he did say some, quote, regulars will sit. I'm thinking about star defensive tackle Chris Jones, maybe other veterans like guard Joe Tooney might make their way out of the game at some point. One guy worth keeping an eye on, that would be all everything tight end Travis Kelsey, who I don't think will be sitting at least not at the outset of this thing. He's just 16 yards away from his eighth consecutive 1,000-yard season. Newsflash, stuff like that matters to players and it matters to organizations. You don't think the Chiefs want to be able to build every little bit of ammo possible on Travis Kelsey's all-time resume. Here's guessing he's going to get about five targets in the first possession of this game. They're going to pepper him with the ball until he gets the yardage necessary, and then he'll get to put on his baseball cap. That's that's an underrated storyline about Week 18 is you never know for sure. Guys need stats for milestones. They need stats to trigger clauses in their contract. You know, a lot of guys, if you get to X number of yards, you get an extra 500,000. If you get X number of catches, X number of tackles, playtime incentives. If you play 90% of the snaps, you get money. It's an underrated storyline of the final week of the season, watching teams try to take care of their people. So if you're surprised about why a player is still in the game, Maybe go Google his contract and see what's going on there. It's always it's a fun little game I like to play in week 18. So keep an eye on Travis Kelsey. I'm guessing he's going to get at least a quarter or so of work while Patrick Mahomes is sitting out. But the Chiefs weren't alone in this strategy on Wednesday. The top seeds in the AFC and NFC, Baltimore and San Francisco, are following a similar strategy. The Ravens confirm they are sitting Lamar Jackson for Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. Tyler Huntley going to get the start in Lamar's place. So... If he is going to win the MVP, it's going to be without the final week of the season on his resume. For some reason, I don't think he'll need it. 49ers announced that Sam Darnold is going to start in place of Brock Purdy against the Rams. It's weird to think about. And I I was one of these people. Remember, it's strange to think Brock Purdy's health was not a given in training camp and even leading up to the start of the regular season. I wouldn't have been surprised if Sam Darnold played a large part in this season for San Francisco. Fortunately for the Niners, they never needed him. They will turn to him in the final game of the regular season, which doesn't wind up meaning a whole lot. And I'm just going to go ahead and guess there's bound to be some hand-wringing from fans and media surrounding both of these teams. Because remember, Baltimore and San Francisco, they've already shored themselves a week off in the playoffs by getting the number one seed. So 
sitting Lamar and Brock means they're not going to play for two weeks before they finally get into action in the playoffs. There's always people that are going to whine about rest versus rust. And do you really want to take two weeks off heading into the biggest game of the season? You won't hear that on the NFL on Fox podcast. I promise you that. And even if it doesn't work out, even if one or both of these guys stumbles coming out of the gates, you're not going to hear me second guess it because especially the Ravens, and the Niners, both of these teams know all too well how it feels to not have their quarterback available for a playoff game. Lamar plagued by injuries the last two years, didn't have him in a playoff game that they almost won last year. And we all know what happened to Brock Purdy six snaps into the NFC championship game last year. You got to have a healthy quarterback. I don't care if you only want to get him a series in a game where there's nothing to gain toward, toward the end result. There's no benefit here. And I refuse to believe that a professional quarterback with as much experience under his belt as these guys needs the 10 plays that he would get in a game like this. Keep him in a baseball cap. Not worth the risk. Good on Baltimore and San Francisco for recognizing that. But the funny thing, it's not just the guaranteed number one overall seeds that are employing this strategy. The Niners opponent, the LA Rams, also confirming they're not going to risk Matthew Stafford in this game. They've already locked up a wild card spot. They're turning to Carson Wentz with Matthew Stafford sitting on the bench. Remember, they signed Wentz midway through the season after a disastrous game without Stafford due to injury. He hasn't had to do a whole lot, so we'll get our first look at him as as a starting quarterback for the LA Rams. What's interesting about them... I will say this. They haven't locked up their seed. We don't know where the Rams fit into the NFC playoff picture just yet. A win would guarantee them the sixth seed, but it is still possible they fall down to the seventh seed if they don't win this game. So I could see people arguing, well, you don't don't know where you're going to be. Don't you want to try to improve your standing as much as possible? To that, I say, not really, because none of these matchups are set. You don't know with a win or a loss who you're even going to play. So... Let go and let God. There's no reason to stress out about this. Matthew Stafford is an older quarterback. He's a quarterback with a history of getting banged up. Keep him healthy for the playoffs. It's your only shot of having a chance to make some noise regardless of who you play. So I am on board with this decision as well. And then lastly, over in the AFC, another wild card team, Cleveland Browns. Not going to win their division, but there's nothing to gain in week 18. They are locked into the five seed. They are going to sit Joe Flacco for their season finale against the Cincinnati Bengals. The interesting thing about this is it's not going to be PJ Walker who takes Joe Flacco's place. It's going to be Jeff Driscoll who just joined the team very recently. And if you're keeping track, that means five different quarterbacks will have started for the Cleveland Browns this season. And yet they are the five seed. They have won. 11 games on the year. I think of them as a very real threat to make noise in the AFC playoffs with five different starting quarterbacks. Incredible stuff. But again, the right decision not to risk the 38 year old quarterback in a game that ultimately won't affect their standing. One last bit of quarterback news to get to, but it's not about starting or sitting in week 18. It's about the 2024 season and beyond. I think it's worth mentioning Arizona head coach Jonathan Gannon speaking to reporters on Wednesday and proclaiming definitively, unequivocally, that Kyler Murray 
Is Arizona's franchise quarterback their guy moving forward? Kyler Murray even spoke to reporters and mentioned he appreciated the belief that's been shown in him by Gannon, by the people in place in Arizona since they took over. Now, let me not react too, too much to this because it was this same Arizona Cardinals franchise that said Josh Rosen was their guy right up until they drafted Kyler Murray number one overall just a few short years ago. But I do think these situations are different. For starters, Kyler Murray has accomplished so much more in the NFL at this point than Rosen had. On top of that, he's been playing well since returning from injuries, really reinvigorated a Cardinals team, getting a huge win against Philadelphia just last week. Cardinals sitting at the fourth pick right now aren't currently in range for the two quarterbacks that are widely seen as the franchise changers in this draft. So I guess we'll leave room for error, but it just makes sense looking at where the Cardinals are in the draft order, where they are as a team, that this is genuine, that they will build around Kyler Murray moving forward. Personally, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes Arizona a very interesting team to watch in 2024. They are currently slated to have 11 picks in this draft including two first-round picks, their own, as well as the one that they got from Houston in the draft day trade last year. So already a team that's, we're not going to call them good. They still are, they're a 4-12 and team, but a team that's showing its signs of improvement with a very young, very talent-poor roster, and they have a huge opportunity to add to it. Cardinals fans, could I sell you on a Marvin Harrison Jr joining your roster this spring. So again, you should always take NFL head coaches with at least a small grain of salt when they make proclamations. But this is one that I believe. And based on what we've seen from Kyler Murray, I think it's a good call. And I'm interested to see where the Cardinals go with it from here. One last little bit of news to get to on a Thursday. The Pro Bowl rosters were announced Wednesday night later than usual. I feel like this often happens, I don't know, mid-December. They wait till the new year. I'll start with this. I'm not sure the Pro Bowl is the barometer that it used to be. You know, you're you're fighting for the right to go play tug of war at the end of the season. There's going to be a bunch of opt-outs. Guys often don't go because they're in the Super Bowl. They often don't go because they got surgeries they got to take care of. Whole bunch of names are going to be added and taken away from the roster. So we don't need to get super worked up about it, but it it does still matter. I hear people try to say Pro Bowl doesn't matter. It's a joke now. Not true when you're talking about bonuses on your contract players get paid money to make the pro bowl it matters to them it matters when you're talking about things like legacy when it comes time for guys to renegotiate new contracts how many pro bowls have you been to when it comes time for you to argue that you belong in the hall of fame pro bowls matter in the long run they do so we can't completely write it off i would never dream of it i still enjoy finding out who the league says is the best, even if I often disagree with it. But let's just get into a few of the favorites. If you want to go look at the entire roster, I'm positive you know how to find it. You have a smartphone. You have an internet connection. Just want to go through some some big talking points, favorites, surprises, a couple snubs, just some things that stood out to me as I perused the Pro Bowl rosters. So let's start off with my favorite picks. And in the AFC, I'm going to go with David Njoku, the Cleveland Browns tight end, who got named to the Pro Bowl on Wednesday night. And the reason I like it so much is because 
first of all, it's his first appearance in the Pro Bowl. So to get to the Pro Bowl for the first time, it's a hard barrier to break down. You got to have a phenomenal first season. I always say once you make it, it's kind of like a snowball effect. You can continue to make it after that. But to break through is tough to do. And it definitely didn't look like David Njoku was going to break through this year with all the quarterback problems plaguing the Browns. Then Joe Flacco stepped in. You realize David Njoku right now has 882 receiving yards and six touchdowns. It's his best NFL season across the board, not even close. But the vast majority of that has come in the time since Joe Flacco took the job just a month ago. 42% of his yardage total was accrued with Joe Flacco as the starting quarterback, not to mention four of his six touchdowns on the year were thrown by Joe Flacco. So this looked like it had no shot. Then Flacco gets the job and Joku blows up. And by the way, the voters, the coaches, the players, the fans, everybody noticed it enough to put him into the Pro Bowl. So not normal and definitely not a given. I want to shout out David Njoku, not just for a phenomenal finish to the season, but but for breaking through the first time as well. So I thought that was really cool. In the NFC, I got to give it to Brandon Aubrey. A kicker? Yeah, that's right. A kicker. We, we gloss over special teams so much, but what a damn story. Guy was in the USFL, which by the way, this is two consecutive years of Dallas special teamers making the Pro Bowl. Cavante Turpin did it last year. So shout out to the USFL, now the UFL. Dallas clearly doing a good job of scouting the spring leagues. Brandon Aubrey, so much consternation about this guy. Nobody knew what to make of him coming into training camp. He missed an extra point in the season opener. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is going to be a roller coaster. We'll see what happens week 18, but he's yet to miss a field goal. 35 of 35, nine from 50 plus. And yeah, I'm sure you say, well, yeah, with a stat line like that, of course he was going to get in. Not necessarily. Again, Name recognition means so much in these votes. It would have made perfect sense if Philadelphia's Jake Elliott got the nod or maybe Cairo Santos in Chicago to give it to a first-year player. I know he had a phenomenal season. I don't think it's a given. The guy was a soccer player. The guy was a minor, you know, a spring league football player, USFL. I just think it's really, really cool. And shout out to Brandon Aubrey for having the best season of any kicker in the NFL and making his first Pro Bowl. All right, surprises. Back to the AFC, I got to shout out my guy, LSU Tiger, Patrick Queen. I knew before the season started that Roquan Smith was going to be a pro bowler for Baltimore, but both Ravens inside linebackers got the nod in 2023. Patrick Queen getting the pro bowl pick. I believe this was his first one. Am I correct about that? It sure was. So you year four here, the former first round pick back in 2020 makes his first pro bowl and to be fair, Roquan has a lot to do with that. I think Roquan Smith has elevated the play of a lot of people on that Baltimore defense. But Patrick Queen has been a plenty big piece of Mike McDonald's defense in his own right. He's got all the tackles you want to go along with it. He's also had a surprisingly nice season as a piece of the Ravens pass rush. He's top three among linebackers, among off-ball linebackers in pressures and hurries. He's got four sacks, three sacks on the season. He's very versatile. He's an underrated piece of this Ravens defense, and I'm glad he got recognized. So a little bit of a surprise, in my opinion, because it's, it's rare to see two guys from the same defense at the same position get nominated, and Patrick Queen did. In the NFC, 
How about Charvarius Ward, the 49ers cornerback, which I think he said it himself on a podcast toward the end of the season. He's been phenomenal all year. Underrated piece of the Niners defense. Really, really good cornerback. He didn't have the picks to go along with it. The bottom line is that you got to get takeaways on defense if you're going to get to the Pro Bowl. And Charvarius Ward didn't have them right up until the last two, three weeks of the season. Three of his five picks have come here toward the end of the year in the last two or three weeks. Sometimes that's too little too late. Not in the case of Ward. Maybe that's that's the benefit of, of announcing these teams so late in the season is that you give these guys the final two or three weeks to make an impression. Charvarius Ward definitely did. Good on you, my dude. That team is loaded with talent. It's easy to overlook the way he's played, but he's been awesome. He deserved it. I was happy to see that. All right, wrapping it up with the biggest snubs, in my opinion. Back to the AFC. I don't know what to do about this because I don't envy the people who have to choose. There's only three spots at quarterback, but how do you leave Josh Allen off the pro bowl roster? He only leads the entire NFL in touchdowns with 42. And yeah, I know he's throwing a lot of picks this year. 42 touchdowns is 42 touchdowns. He's the heart and soul of the Buffalo bills. They don't go anywhere without him. Even with the dip in play, 27 passing touchdowns, another 15 rushing touchdowns. He's had like five games with three or more touchdowns here in the second half of the season, helping to carry the Bills into a division title game in week 18. And look, I get it. If you're putting Josh Allen in, it probably means you got to take Patrick Mahomes out. And that's a scary thing to do. Patrick Mahomes is already a Hall of Famer. He's a two-time MVP. I get it. It's It's weird to leave him off the Pro Bowl ballot. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it either. But when you're comparing what those two quarterbacks have done this season, Josh Allen deserves to be in the Pro Bowl. Figure it out amongst yourselves. I'm not really willing to say Patrick Mahomes shouldn't be there, but Josh Allen should be in. That's all there is to it. Over in the NFC, I know a lot of people are going to talk about Amon Ross St. Brown, and he completely deserves to be in the Pro Bowl. The bottom line is that it's really, really hard to make the Pro Bowl as a receiver. There's four spots, and there's about 25 worthy receivers playing in the NFL right now. So I feel bad for Amon Ross St. Brown. But the name that I want to make sure I highlight is Antoine Winfield Jr. of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who has been incredible. I think he's been all pro worthy at safety for Tampa Bay this season. 117 tackles. Five tackles for loss. He's recovered four fumbles on the year. Game-changing plays on a regular basis from the safety position. Three interceptions on top of that. His stats compare favorably with just about anybody in the NFL at safety other than maybe Jesse Bates, who made the Pro Bowl, by the way. Antoine Winfield should be right there next to him. It's this is this is my point is that sometimes it's hard to build that momentum. But the silly thing is Antoine Winfield Jr.'s made the Pro Bowl before. He should already have that name recognition that helps him get voted in. He's easily been one of the best things about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all season long. He's a top three, four safety in the NFL. You could make the case that he's the best safety in the NFL, or at the very least, it's not crazy to have him on that list. I think this is the most egregious snub of all of them. Cause like I said, it, it you get why Josh Allen missed it. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. You get Amon Ross St. Brown. Cause there's two dozen amazing receivers. There's no argument here. Antoine Winfield jr. Got snubbed. Hopefully they make it up to him when they, you know, when they announce the 
alternates. When guys drop out, I'm sure he will make it. He deserves it. So Antoine, on the off chance you're watching this or if, if somebody you know sends it to you, you deserved it, my guy. I just want to make sure we make that abundantly clear. All right, that does it for the Pro Bowl rosters. Be sure to go check the rest of it out at your leisure. I don't know. We'll see where it goes from here. A couple of days later than usual, thanks to the new year, but we'd be remiss if we didn't leave you with one last edition of the power rankings heading into the postseason. You know the drill. Before we can truly focus on week 18, we're going to take you through where things stand with one last Sunday to play. 20 teams still in contention, just 12 eliminated for the year. Crazy, crazy stuff. As has been the custom here for the last three or four weeks, we are going to stick pretty high up the board because at this point, I think you know what it looks like for the teams that are already ready to focus on the draft. Yeah, there's a handful of outliers down there in the teens and 20s that still have a shot at the playoffs, but we want to focus on the teams that truly have a chance to make some noise. We're going to start off with a disappointing one, all the way down at number 12. And honestly, if they hadn't locked up their playoff spot so soon, we could argue the Philadelphia Eagles should be lower. But at number 12, a whopping five spots down the board from last week, the Eagles have lost four out of five. Could have dropped them lower the week before after a lackluster performance against the New York Giants, losing at the buzzer to the Seattle Seahawks. The writing has been on the wall that this isn't the same team for a while. Losing to the Arizona Cardinals just underlines it in red ink. This team feels like it's in trouble. It's in crisis mode. 12 feels right because you look like you look at the roster. There's still plenty of of reason to feel good about the Eagles on paper. We know what they can do when everything's clicking. They did lock up their playoff spot with weeks to play. So credit to them for that. But considering that they were fighting for home field advantage a, a few short weeks ago, and now they'll be lucky to win the division and get the home game that comes with it, anything can happen. I get that. But it's looking right now like the Eagles are going to have to go on the road through the entirety of the playoffs, not where it looked like this season was going. Can't write them off completely. A.J. Brown's still there, albeit maybe a little dissatisfied. Jalen Hurts, the offensive line. Hassan Reddick, Devontae Smith looks like he escaped major injury. A lot of reason to feel good, but you, you got to penalize them a little bit for what we've seen here over the last month, and that is exactly what I'm doing, dropping the Eagles easily as low as they've been all year. All right, similar story with a different ending up at number nine, up two spots from last week. I feel like I'm an outlier here, having the Kansas City Chiefs all the way down at number nine, but... Look, the reality is I respect them for what they've done and who they have. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, it speaks for themselves. They've locked up a playoff spot. They're not playing Mahomes in the season finale. So clearly they're doing something right. Eight straight division titles. But we don't have to pretend like what they've done here down the home stretch of the season is terribly impressive. Even the win that locked up the AFC West for them last week, they settled for six Harrison Butker field goals in that game to beat the Jake Browning Bengals. It's just not what we've gotten used to. We keep waiting for the offense to kick into gear. And yes, the defense is good, but to win against some of these quarterbacks that are waiting in the AFC playoffs, they're going to have to get more out of their offense. We just haven't seen it. We're not writing off the possibility that it shows up in the postseason, but this team, by Kansas City Chiefs standards, just hasn't been all that impressive, and that's evidenced by their three-seed in the playoffs. It's already locked up. That's why they're not playing anybody. It's the worst seed 
of the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reed era, or not Andy Reed. It's, it's the worst seating of Patrick Mahomes time as the starter in Kansas city. That says a lot. It says a lot about how good they've been, but you reach a certain standard. I hold you to it. Still a top 10 team, not impressive by the Chiefs' standards. Can't wait to see if they can finally turn it on in the playoffs because we're not going to get another look at Mahomes in the regular season. All right, up at number six, I actually did not move the Dallas Cowboys this week. It's not a knock on them, but you look at who's above them. Yes, did Miami get waxed by Baltimore last week? They absolutely did. Did the Dolphins just beat the Cowboys? They sure did. Same thing goes for the Buffalo Bills, who might not have looked impressive against the Patriots, but they housed the Cowboys just a couple of weeks ago. So you survive the Lions at home. Lions, it's, a, it's a good win. It's a very good win, but I don't have a problem keeping you right where you are below two teams that just beat you, not to mention some of the juggernauts up at the top. So it's a good Cowboys team. Dak Prescott continues to play amazingly, and I think the haters are going to be shocked by this, but whatever chance the Cowboys have in the playoffs is going to come from Dak Prescott. The defense has not been up to its standard here over the last month of the season. I think injuries are finally catching up to them. This team lives and dies with Dak Prescott. When he's on, they're as good as anyone in the NFL. When he's not, it can look kind of ugly, like we've seen a couple of times this season, but I think six is a perfectly good spot for the Cowboys who have a chance to be the number two seed in the NFC playoffs when this season, when this weekend is all said and done. Okay. I mentioned the bills, keeping them right where they are at number four, uninspiring win against new England, but you get a division win. you set up the opportunity to go to Miami and finish as the number two seed in the AFC. They've won four straight. I'm, I'm rolling with the totality of what they've done over the last month, over these last two wins, which haven't been very good, but they got a chance to be the number two seed. It is, it's pretty wild that a team that's in the top five of my power rankings might fall out of the playoffs altogether if the wrong things happen this weekend. But I'm trusting in the Buffalo Bills. I do think at the end of the day, they'll ultimately win the AFC East. That would be my pick if I was making one. guess I should save that for the preview episode. But the Bills as hot as anybody in the NFL over the last month. Other than maybe my number three team. Yeah. My number three team, the Cleveland Browns. I can't really believe it either. But when Joe Flacco is throwing for 300 yards a week and the defense is showing up to play, they've been kicking ass. It's a combination that I don't think you can write off. An offense that has really come to life with Joe Flacco, Amari Cooper taking on a life of his own with Flacco under center. The offense can reliably get you to the low, mid, high 20s, depending on the opponent. I mean, shoot, they almost scored 40 against a nasty Jets defense last week, and the defense is going to be able to pick up the slack for you. It Maybe this has the potential to age poorly, but we know the Browns are locked into the five seed. They'll go on the road to play a flawed AFC South team in the playoffs, most likely. I like them to get to the divisional round, and we've already talked about the flaws with some of the teams that'll host there. I'm not writing the Browns off to make some serious noise in the postseason. It's incredible that we're saying these words out loud in January. I can't wait to see where it goes. All right, wrapping up, of course, number one, Baltimore Ravens beating down Miami by 37 in the last game. We'll see from them. Lamar Jackson not going to play this weekend. So we've got two weeks to sit and wait, but I've already said it. I think Lamar Jackson locked up MVP with that performance, more touchdowns than incompletions against Miami. They've beaten so many good teams this season. A lot of those wins have been decisive 
for all we talked about San Francisco, I want to make sure we we owe the Ravens the the service of pointing out just how good their season has been. For some reason, it felt like they did a lot of it in the shadows compared to Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas. The Ravens have been consistent. They've been dominant more often than not. They are worthy of being number one heading into the playoffs, and it's going to be a two-week wait to see if they deliver on that when they get there. That does it for the show, but never worry. We will be back tomorrow to preview this week 18, all the good stuff. Obviously, we're going to talk about this Bills-Dolphins matchup in great detail. We'll get into Commanders-Cowboys as well. We'll take a look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trying to move past last week's defeat and clench the division against Carolina. Plenty to get to. It is a loaded slate. We'll have everything for you then. Until then, please go find us on Spotify. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel you can subscribe to wherever you get your NFL news, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. We appreciate it so much. I'll talk to you all Friday.